Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. What's in there? Only what you take with you. Good evening. Since we're all strangers to each other, let's get acquainted with the drink, shall we? I've been here five years. They only owe me the right way up yesterday. So um, it's Father's Day is coming up, so I guess going around, uh, who's what's your favorite father in science fiction or fantasy? That's a hard one. There's so many that are just kind of terrible when it comes to science fiction. <laughs> Usually they're the ones that are they're the ones that are rather terrible. So who's a right, good it's, one? It's the trope of science fiction. I wonder if a lot of that comes from a lot of sci-fi fantasy authors. Probably yeah, um, bad fathers themselves. I, I think so. The, yeah. I mean, if you have a small escapist child who's down in his bedroom making model rockets and dreaming of flying to Mars, and he's like, "Dad, uh, I want to, I want to write science fiction novels when I get older," and you're smack, you're <laughs> smacked by the by the hand or the ruler. <laughs> I feel like there might be a higher percentage of fathers. Beating the nerd out of their children. In the 50s and 60s especially. True. And that's just become a trope that's been carried on, maybe. I don't know. So do we have no favorite father character? I got one. Ned Stark. Okay, Game of Thrones. Loved Arya. Kind of a jerk to his other... What was his other daughter? Uh, What's her name? You're asking the wrong table. I haven't seen anything about Game of Thrones. Anyway, great father to Arya before Uh, he was beheaded uh, in book one. I do believe the big BP is a big fan of Game of Thrones, but obviously the name eludes you. I can't remember the name. You're talking about the short little assassin one, right? uh, Oh, Sansa. He he does like... He's good. Is it Sansa? Sansa. Stark. Sansa. Sansa Stark? I don't know. I read Does she the, have red hair? I, I read the red books uh, 20 years ago, or whenever that first one came out. I don't George R. R. Martin has red hair. Yes, he does. That's, yes. <laughs> okay, so uh, we are here with the first, first installment ever of Dungeons & Dweebs. Deeper Delves. Deep Delves. <laughs> so... Um, so what is Deeper Delves? These are little side quests where uh, the main show um, does not want to go any deeper into the universe. <laughs> they never want to go any deeper. And, uh, and we fearlessly uh, travel on. We travail on. The first episode being recorded here in Studio B. I mean, hey, I don't know what you have around in the studio. We might be filmed. I don't know. It's it kind of creepy. It could be. There's a lot of yeah, dolls. There it is. A lot of dolls and <laughs> action figures, knives, guns. It's kind of weird. I agree. To be very honest, I expected nothing less. Yes. We also brought children in for Children of Dune. We have children in the <laughs> there studio. There are actual children in yes. the studio. Yes. Um, all right. So, 
I don't know if we want to keep mentioning that without the books go. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we really, we really don't want to mention that with the books. <laughs> I don't want those, to. Those books hey. went weird. So we've got, uh, we're going to start off here with Dune Messiah. So for those of you who have followed us down this rabbit hole, Frank Herbert, um, let's talk a little bit about Dune. So when Dune, when we ended reading it, what were your thoughts if you were to look into the future and say, okay, so what's going to happen in Dune down the road? Uh, what would you have liked to have happened? Actually, I should go around the table first, so so that you know who's here at our round table. So to my right, I've got a longtime Dune fanatic, a childhood fan, sat with his dad and watched the movie, loved every second of it. I'm sorry you watched that movie, from I what st- I've heard. I, I still do. I still the, love the movie. The big, the big, I still haven't seen it. The big Danny, it. the DP, is here. Thank you for the invite back. And, uh, uh, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm Duned out. <laughs> I'm completely full of Dune nonsense <laughs> that I can't keep them all straight in my head. <laughs> so you we have need to purge it. We need to purge the Dune now. Do you have so much spice inside you that you are getting dreams of the future? Yes. He's prescient at, at yep. this point. Um, we also have across from me, Paul, not the Quitsack Cataract. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, it's it's always good to come for uh, some extra reading here. I wasn't on for the Dune, but it is a book that I've liked. Uh, as a kid, I read through it, so it's nice to go into a universe I never actually went into, and now I'm kind of glad I didn't when I was a kid. Well, not to, like, uh, any kind of preview of what our opinions <laughs> might be. I mean, it's, it's me. I'm sure I'll find some positive in the books. I always do. And off to my left, on the other side of the table. Not like directions matter to our listeners. Look to your left. <laughs> look to your I'm left. Here. If you're driving, look to your left. Um, <laughs> and if you and if you see this person, run. Run very fast. Yeah. Yeah. So we got Ted. Ted is back. Um, Ted, you do Dune now as part of the curriculum for English class. So how do you see your students? Uh, have your students been receptive to Dune? Two of them. <laughs> so, out of how many? I'm batting about 100. Uh, so out of an entire class, we had two students who liked Dune. Yep, um, two out of 20. It was, uh, I probably won't redo it in the class curriculum, but I was really excited about it, so I threw it in there. And I was like, hey, 800 pages, couple weeks, kids, read through it. It'll be good. And then they all just, like, watched the movie, got creeped out, and quit reading the, quit, <laughs> quit reading the book. How many of them use Sparknotes or the other... Schmoop? Schmoop, thank you. Probably all. But you kind of <laughs> do... You need it for Dune, I think. Uh, I'm using Schmoop. Yeah, yeah. We schmoop, yeah. we'll schmoop Dune. <laughs> would, yeah. you, would you teach uh, children or Messiah? Absolutely not. No. Why not? You don't want the hey, random... We'll get into it. We'll get into <laughs> it. So, so um, we're... <laughs> It should be said that Dune, when it first was published in 65, was not a hit. It did not make an incredible amount of money. And in fact, I believe it was the editor at the time was fired because uh, uh, of the losses that the publishing house took from Dune. Mm. Uh, At the time, I'm trying to remember now, uh, Ted, we had listened to this, um, but was really expensive as well. So I don't know what Pocket Books and Ace and a lot of the publishers at the time, what they cost, but probably around $1.90. This thing was like a five ninety-five book. Wow. Because it was so large. And critics 
uh, of the time did not like Dune. Okay, they so kind of hold universally on. panned the, it, the book. It cost that much to make. How much did they charge for it then? No, I mean that's what it cost to buy. So oh, okay. You walked in. Uh, that was what was working against Dune. You're you're a kid. I mean the sci-fi audience, right? You're walking into the local bookshop and you have all of these uh, 1950s and 60s sci-fi pulp writing practically they're all sitting at around i don't know a buck 75 two dollars something like that to buy and then you've got this mammoth tome called dune that's five dollars and 95 cents um there's really no action in it <laughs> at all right like you're in the middle of reading things that are filled with uh ufos and aliens and earth invasion you're going and watching plan nine from outer space that is a great so movie, actually. Like Plan Nine from outer, outer Space, or yeah, yeah, one of those. And and then Dune is sitting there. It's a far different animal from what you're used to. How many kids do you think just picked up that book just to say they read that eight hundred some like page? I remember when I was little, you'd pick up like the Tom Clancy books and look at the font. Well, look at all the words in this book. Yeah, like twelve hundred pages. And yeah, read like four of them and not understand anything, and then just put it away. Well, actually, I had a different experience. My first book by him was Without Remorse, and I could not put that thing down. Loved that book. Mm. First Tom Clancy experience. So Dune was first published in Analog Magazine as part of like a six-part series. Analog would not publish Dune Messiah. So the book that we're talking about tonight <laughs> would not be published. They came back, I think, and published... Analog would not pick up uh, Dune Messiah whatsoever. I don't know why. I, I guess I, I tried to dig into it to find out if were publishers, did they read it and think it was that horrible or what the purpose I mean, how was the reception is? of I was going to say, the Dune, first maybe Dune didn't do well in analog either. And so maybe by the time Messiah came out, uh, Dune was uh, a shaded property. I, I don't know. Yeah, plus I think uh, while Dune had a following after it was done, it wasn't the most greatly lauded book ever. So maybe they had wanted him to go in a different direction. Like, maybe you're going to give us Dune Messiah with some more action in it. And then he came with 500 more pages of crap. And then they're like, are you kidding me, Frank? And he's I mean, like, what? This is good stuff. I will say, when he I wrote... hours writing this. When he wrote action, I really enjoyed the action parts, however small they were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, he is definitely not... Dune is not about action, nor does he want to sell it as such. In fact, when he talks in the interview um, about action, he sees it as farcical. Right. Everything's campy if there's action. Right, right. Which I don't think... Maybe that was just his viewpoint. But the more we listen to things that Frank says about his own writing, I start to think he's just writing for his own sake sometimes. Like, yeah. well, watch this. I'm going to do this in the plot. Well, this will be good. Like, <laughs> in a weird way to satisfy himself but not readers. Right on. Or to prove he can do it. Or to, like, then be able to talk about it later. I think that I, he was taking pleasure, it feels, uh, with me. And, like, okay, everybody is wanting a, yes. a follow-up to, to Dune. I am going to subvert all of their expectations by making my Paul Atreides character, who everybody wants to see, rule the galaxy or something else. I want to take him from the heights and, and delve into, so what does it look with, like when a human reaches godlike powers and how do the foibles that are human foibles play into that right you know? mm -hmm. he wants to explore those issues i don't know that a lot of readers want to explore those issues with them 
What was the age group, do you think, of kids that started reading Dune? Was it, like, teenagers, or was it adults that were My into the sci-fi? My guess would be there wasn't a lot of kids who were reading Dune. I think a lot of them probably would have picked it up, and it would have been one of those things that they tried to read. The, I mean, that's my experience when I was a kid, trying to read through Dune, not finding it entertaining, and going to other things constantly, and really not until now sitting down and reading it. Yeah. I think my friend Stuart in L.A., <laughs> He, uh, he was saying the hipsters. The hipsters really liked it. Yeah. yeah. And when children or when Messiah got published, that's when Frank started making a little bit of money. Yes. Because I think it took what four years for it to come out. Yep. And then I guess it started getting traction, and he said, "Well, started making some money off of it." So right. it was maybe it should be a trilogy now. Ahead of its time. I mean, sixty-five. Um, you know, we've got you know, uh, Hyatt Ashbury, Summer of Love is still on the horizon. Um, and the hippie movement's just going to start getting going. I really think that a lot of what's in this book, in terms of ecology, its critique of religion, um, and a lot of it, its look at an uprising of a working class, um, putting down, throwing down uh, the people in power, all of that speaks to the counterculture movement. And I think that's why it gained traction. By the time you're hitting uh, the late 60s into the 70s, uh, Dune, I think, is more of a counterculture sci-fi manifesto. Um, I think that's a good word for it because I think Frank gets in his own way sometimes. Like, yeah. There's really good opportunities in his writing to take a different path or include different uh, scenes or maybe take a scene into some more action. And then he like pulls back and he's always going, oh, well... Let me let me get back to the theology that I want to point out because it's the most important thing. Right. So, I yeah, don't know. I, I think that that's why that coital rhythm. He explains it as coital rhythm. We look at it as like, can you just piece together some good action for us to read, rather than pushing in and then pulling out and then pushing and in. I, I just want to take a second here to play out this excerpt of the coital rhythm, okay, so that everybody here at the table can can hear this part when it comes up. So, uh, this is uh, Frank Herbert discussing. The coital rhythm. There was another thing there. In the pacing of the story, it was very slow at the beginning. It's a coital rhythm all the way through the story. It's a what? A coital rhythm. Okay. Very slow. Pace increasing all the way through. Mm -hmm. And when you get to the ending of it, I've chopped it at a, uh, at a non-breaking point so that the person reading the story skids out of the story, trailing bits of it with him. And on this, I know I was successful because people uh, come to me and say that they want more. And I have said this to my classes that, in many ways, as satisfying as Dune is, I find it unsatisfying because there are so many unanswered questions. You don't tie up the loose ends of, say, Paul's sister, uh, unless you read uh, what is it, the Huntress of a, of a Thousand Worlds, <laughs> that marvelous little. little <laughs> Okay. Wait. So he did all of this really slow introduction on purpose. All of this was a slow buildup, and then he sees it. Like, I love, literally, you pull out at the end, and he sees this action scene as far as it goes. But, uh, yeah, I, I think some parts, uh, when I'm listening to these interviews, um, he's coming off as being... Um, Just a pedantic dink. <laughs> like, oh, listen to me talk about my writing. It's so lovely. And then the guy interviewing, is the guy interviewing him talking about his class? Yeah. Oh, my class. When we're diving into Dune. Oh. Um, did your class? You know, step around the point that his class feels the book is boring. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, right. as, as satisfying as Dune is, um, 
Many times I feel satisfied. That's because everybody showed up on Monday and we're like, what the, what the F is with the end of the book? You can say it. I'll bleep it out. <laughs> they need some brown sugar in that Why don't we just read the last 200 pages of shit and then now we're just going to talk about why Paul wants to bang your lawn, but he's not going to. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, well, we should get into this book. So for those who haven't read it, we'll give you a quick plot synopsis. I don't know if this is quick, but this is what I've got <laughs> for a synopsis. <laughs> All right. Dune Messiah. Dune Messiah. It has been 12 years since Paul Mwadib Atreides accepted his role as Messiah Whoops. and led the Fremen people in a glorious jihad against those who oppressed them. But the jihad Paul inspired has in many ways gotten away from him. The religious revolution he inspired has turned into a moral disaster with tens of billions dead and his prescient vision showing him that this is just a drop in the bucket compared to what they can yet be. Motivated by their distrust in both Paul and his religious fanatics, a group of conspirators has arisen to try and bring Paul down. The Bene Gesserit, Spacing Guild, and the Talalaxu enlist the help of the one person who can get closest to Paul, his cuckolded wife, Irulan. <laughs> Daughter of the Padishah Emperor Shaddam IV, Irulan was really only married out of necessity. Paul's true love is for his Fremen concubine, Chani. Problem is, the eugenics-practicing Bene Gesserit want Paul and Irulan to produce a super child together. Paul, on the other hand, is his own plans and wants to have a child with Chani. So Irulan has been drugging Chani's food so she can't get pregnant. This would be a, a good episode for... Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, Paul can see the future. Why is he not aware of the plot that's against him? Well, it turns out that because the planning is done in the presence of a guild navigator named Eric, <laughs> who, is, who is an oracle, he messes with the prescient abilities of Paul. In order to win Paul's confidence, one of the conspiring groups, the Telalaxu, have created an artificial human construct called a Gola. But this construct has been fashioned from the body of Paul's friend, Duncan Idaho, containing the thoughts and cloudy memories of the real Duncan, the Gola, which the Telelaxu named Hate. Like an oversharing Manchurian candidate, Hate Duncan tells Paul that he will be his downfall. But Paul keeps him around anyway. Well, why wouldn't you? Well, of course. The Fremen... Uh, also a play on free men. Uh, free... No, it's... <laughs> da Danny, they're free men. Isn't it Freeman? <laughs> It's, it's Fremen? It's the Fremen. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but they're free. Because they're free. Men. <laughs> Not all of them are men, though. However, they see the Gola as an abomination, and they begin to turn away from Paul, forming a conspiracy of their own to kill him. Chani, meanwhile, goes on a traditional Fremen spice-infused super-pregnancy diet, and she gets pregnant with twins, just like Padme Amidala. <laughs> and like her... Paul believes or foresees that giving birth will kill her. But not all the Fremen have turned against Paul, and loyal Fedaikin Death Commando Othame goes to Paul to offer assistance in rooting out the plot, and he also offers assistance of his creepy, vertically challenged servants, Bejaz. Bejiz? Bejiz? Is that the dwarf? That's what it is, yeah. yeah. Bejiz so, the dwarf. The little dwarf. Yeah, that was a, that was a weird part. I named it Bejiz. <laughs> so Bejiz. If you had a dwarf, I think you wouldn't name it anything. 
So Bajiz has a perfect memory for faces and conversation strands and plots. So I wish I had him around to explain this book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> explain to me what happened in this chapter, Bajiz. Uh, <laughs> Not much, really. People talked. We were in a room. People are plotting. You More. will die. They are all plotting, always. Mwadib. But as Paul sends his forces against the Freemen, conspirators, Whoa. they set an atomic weapon called a stone burner, which renders Paul blind. According to tradition, blind people are sent into the desert to die. But Paul's blindness has made him even more powerful. And like Neo from The Matrix, he reaches the next level of prescience. Uh, he sees all futures, all outcomes. But in seeing all, Paul only continues down his self-destructive path of futility and boredom. But Beejiz gets busy. <laughs> He's really part of this conspiracy, too. And he programs Hate Duncan to offer Paul something too good to be true. Sure, your wife could die in childbirth, but we'll make her a creepy Gola zombie like good old Hate Duncan here. He also programs a backup plan. Kill Duncan when you hear the magic word. Uh, Chani does die, and her death triggers Hate Duncan to try and kill Paul. But instead of killing his friend, his loyalty and deeply embedded consciousness slash morality prevail, and he sheds his hate program and becomes fully Duncan Idaho. But what should be a happy time is overshadowed by the fact that the twins are creepy little pre-born, <laughs> just like Paul's sister Aaliyah was. <laughs> they have full adult co cognition brought on by their doped-up spice-using mother. Aren't they <laughs> intertwined when they come out? Yeah. They're actually... Because mom kept shooting up spice the whole time she was pregnant. Is this... Could this... Kids come out banging. <laughs> no, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Now completely... There's so many things. Oh, like, a lot to say. Now completely blind, both prophetically and physically, Paul chooses to go out and wander the desert like a mopey deadbeat dad, leaving the responsibility of child raising to his sister. Sounds like the Mori Povich stuff. Do, do does this just describe the heroin problem that was going around I think so. at the time? Last line, but through death, Paul has assured that he has triumphed. His name and legend will live on, and his little twins, named Leto, after daddy, and Ganima, which means spoil of war in Fremen, will assume their rightful place as plot devices for the next book. That's beautiful. Uh, that was way too long. And it's it's hard to get a short synopsis going. These books are... Dune Messiah is a third, maybe, of Dune. Yeah. But it's, it's a... It is a slice Every thick, rich... Herbert. Herbert <laughs> All right, so what, let's get this going. We're starting off... Uh, there's no chapters... It, I'm going to throw it out here. I absolutely hate that these books don't have chapters. When you're trying to write notes about them, it is the most annoying thing. True. I like shorter chapters altogether in all books. Yeah. If I have a, if I have a preference. But. I agree. I agree. Well, and Keeps some, it moving, man. Keeps it moving. Some numbers might be helpful instead of just it bits of pieces of some random text that he just kind of made up. Yeah. A lot more worm drawings. Maybe put some worm drawings in the text. You know, they could have done the thing that uh, Weiss and Hickman did in the Dragonlance novels. It could be little uh, drawings at the top yeah. of every chapter. Yeah, I, nice. Hey, I like those drawings. I didn't like the fact that the you know chapter heading gave the, the whole plot of what's going to happen in that entire chapter, but that's a whole other thing. Well, we open like 12 years into the reign of Paul Atreides, right? 
Yeah, we open with the, the plotters plotting, right? It, this, yeah, so we've... Okay, so when we open here, I don't mind this scene. I think it goes on a little bit too long, but I was interested right off the bat. I'm kind of interested in this kind of wide diversity of characters who are plotting to bring down Paul Atreides. Right, you quickly find out Irlan's there, so that piques your interest too. Like, yeah, like, oh, she must be trying to betray him right away. Right. Right? Because if there's one thing that I didn't necessarily get a beat on, I knew in the first book that uh, Paul was definitely in love with Chani, that Chani was his main girl. But he had to marry Irulan, and I was not sure where that relationship would be at. Would it turn into love? Would it not? It's obviously looking like she is not into Paul. Quiet dinners and bored hand jobs. That's what that turned into. <laughs> How was your day? Good. Want me to jerk it tonight? Sure. Are you going to come this time? Maybe. There is nothing no. that I can use nothing, out of that. Nothing. Why did you do Zero. that? Zero. <laughs> you can use none of what he what? just said. Why did you do that? What do you mean you can use some of it? No. No, you can't. No, I can't. So, Irulan, am I, am I right in assuming they have not consummated this relationship yet? Because she doesn't, she say, she's irritated by this, that they, she wants to be pregnant. Yes. Paul's not getting this correct. No. Yeah. Not touching her one bit. Not at all. <laughs> I ain't touched her one bit. Which I don't get, because, you know, Irulan, if should we go with the Irulan that's present in the movie, she's beautiful. She is. She's Benny Gesserit trained. They were all beautiful, weren't they? Anybody that yes. was Benny Gesserit well, trained. Helen Boyheim, the 400-year-old witch, wasn't too hot, Paul. But, <laughs> but the other ones, probably. Uh, once you reach 1,000 years old, you get a little loose. Can, can we talk? This is a good breaking point to talk about... Uh, so the big DP here sends a message out uh, about how he's indoctrinating his children, and it just has the image of, of Irulan talking at the beginning of that movie. Oh, yeah. So, Danny, uh, how, happened, how, how, Danny? Did, how did the indoctrination of your family go into the movie of Dune? Well, kind of like Ted's sex life, it ended pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> it only seems quick because you're unconscious for all the foreplay. <laughs> I'll wake you up when it's time. <laughs> um, so, okay, Aaron, so Aaron got uh, finally got Amazon Prime. Whoa! So, yeah, so Good. we're big time, big yeah. time now, and. Uh, is it Amazon Videos? Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So Dewey pops up immediately. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. It's like, play it while they're in the kitchen. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you watching a movie? I'm like, yeah, yeah. What is it? Oh, you'll find out. <laughs> and she starts looking, and the kids are just, what? oh, they're just jacked about it. Yeah. And then Irulan comes on, starts doing it, and Aaron's like, hmm, is this? <laughs> this is yeah, it's doing. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Didn't even get past the intro. They're just putting up the planets, uh -huh. three planets, and she's like, are you going to really watch this? <laughs> no, no. No, no, I'm sorry, I'm not. You, you watched it later, though, didn't you? You finished it. No, okay. What, I went what's a movie that you've had to watch that she loves? Did you sit through it? Or do you just do it? Do you just pull an errand and bow out? Uh, probably bow out. She watches what I yeah. tell her to watch, so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like, the, <laughs> I like the fake that there's a problem, some sort of problem right. that you need to go take oh, care yeah. of uh, on the garage. You hear that water leaking somewhere? I got to go uh, yeah. check it out. Boy, I, uh, I'd really like to finish this sometime, yeah. uh, but I, I, there's water leaking, I think. A uh, after the third hour of uh, country cooking. 
<laughs> um, who's that cooking show? She watched it nine nine episodes in a row. I'm like, well, we better go outside and sharpen the chainsaw. I, I better go find some tree to chop down. Or wow, no, but there is nothing that will ruin uh, the mood between a woman and a man than the man bringing up something from Dune. It is it is a killer. My wife, I have I have not had sex in a week and a half. <laughs> All because of Doom. All because of you, Frank Herbert. Because I'll start talking about something I read in the book. You know, I'm like, ah, especially children. When we get to children, I'll be like, God, he's leaping around the desert right now in a stupid organic still suit. Some sort of trout spewed him. And she's like, what is going on? And then I'll, I'll mistakenly explain it to her. And never, yeah. never explain, ever. <laughs> Yeah, there is nothing that makes a person more not attractive to the opposite sex than going full Herbert on them, because it's it's pretty bad. Well, when you get in the coital rhythm, <laughs> you just you, you know you go real slow. Uh, and then let me just show you what it looks like. Um, maybe you would enjoy it. I feel like that's Frank trying to coax you into sex in the bed. No, trust me, uh, the pillows are really nice, and I wrote some good words, and uh, I'll, I'll touch you before I sleep. Nice. <laughs> so anyway, back to Irulan and this whole conspiracy. Um, so basically, they have a member of the Spacing Guild there named Edric, Ed- or we'll just call Eric. Um, Eric is there. Edric. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the reason he is there is to shield everybody. Right. Because his ability to rip space time and everything, it shields it shields Paul's ability. How many Edricks are there out there? Can people just do this willy nilly? As long as you have a space? I think any spacing guild member. Any spacing can guild member can block anybody from Not space. any spacing guild member, just the ones that are piloting the ships. Okay. I, I think from what I understood it was the pilots of the ships had to have that much spice in them so that they could foresee what was coming, so they had to kinda avoid, you know, all that space stuff. Right. Right. Yeah, steersman, but then the other people that does oracle work, he did yeah. cloud. Yeah. Like his precious vision. Too right. much too much salt in the <laughs> in the soup. <laughs> too salt. Couldn't do it. Get out. Um, we also find at this point uh, that she has been administrating contraceptives to Paul's truly beloved concubine, Chani, to keep her from getting pregnant. Don't do this in real life. This is a bad This move. would be a very bad very devious. This is how you get on Jerry Springer. It's true. <laughs> Actually, there's probably a Jerry Springer episode that this happened. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but what is Paul doing? So uh, as we get into the book, he's we're first introduced to him doing kind of a nighttime stroll around the city. Um, yeah, he likes to go for his walk, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but his mind sees with envy for those who enjoy the freedoms forbidden him as emperor. Dune is a world under siege. Right. Yeah, and he comes back and sits down and lets Chani rubs his legs. <laughs> Remember that scene? Yeah. Rubbing Paul's legs in the still suit and getting the knots out. It's like, ah. Started, uh, I was thinking about Paul over here. <laughs> yeah, you were. Yeah, you definitely were thinking about me. But we're seeing here a leader who is disillusioned with leadership. I mean, we had this incredible rise of Paul Atreides, and I'd be interested to know back in the 60s, uh, was 69, something like that, when this book came out, what did, what did people think uh, of their hero, kind of? I don't, I, this, is, this is trite now. I'm used to the ruler, the, the crown weighing heavy on the ruler, but... Um, their Luke Skywalker is is just kind of sitting around wishing he'd never beat the Empire. 
this this happens so often in books where you, or even TV shows where you just see that the leader want to no longer be the leader and just kind of mm-hmm. go back to that normal life. I don't know what was it new when this book came out or was it just kind of a standard this just always happened. Yeah, I mean we had a, you know, in a world of Buck Rogers and and everybody else, you know, the hero was just a constantly 007 flitting from planet to planet um getting his rocks off. So I saw it um, as as the fact it was out of his hands. Like once all of this happened, he already saw that in his previous visions. It's like a crazy jihad, man. He doesn't even really have control. He's just the idol of or the what who everybody prays to or sees as the almighty being. But really all of the like the slaughter going on on other planets, the sixty one billion people murdered. Okay, you, let's talk about this. Like he that's the number it's thrown out, right? Yeah. But he like he even mentions like what control do I have over I mean I'm not paraphrasing really I guess I am paraphrasing yeah like what control do I have over these legions of fremen that, who are basically religious fanatics right right he's just the figurehead what I mean he can direct them to do what he wants them to do but it's almost like a living entity outside of him now this whole movement is uh, getting out of out of hand right. Well, but and I love that exploration of that. He's created this jihad, right. which we would all take as this heroic movement against the powers that be. But we're seeing the reality of that. that it has led to billions of right. people dying across the galaxy. Which leads us to ask, Danny, would the universe have been better off with Paul dead Ooh. at the hands of the Harkonnens? Ooh. With over 60 billion dead. Uh, yeah. How many people die if Paul dies? I'm going to say no, because eventually the Quizark Hatterach be someone else? <clears throat> is going to be someone else. So to, that's the fate? It's just him? It just happens to be him? Yeah, because they skipped a generation. So yeah. it should have been uh, Ali and uh, 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 Fade. Ralta, oh, Fade, Ralta. We're supposed to have the Quizark Hatterach. Oh, so Aaliyah. But in the other book, the Bene Gesserit didn't know that the Quizark Hatterach would lead to the... Uh, um, the jihad. Okay. They were unaware of what that was. They just wanted someone to control right. on the throne and stuff. So it was. Well, and she was supposed. It was supposed to be a woman, right? That's who they were trying to get. Because Paul was not supposed to live. Her, his mother was not supposed to have a male child. Yeah. Well, so they wanted the female to breed with a Harkonnen. Yeah. Or Harkonnen. Harkonnen. And not Harkonnen. Not Harkonnen. I'll make you some coffee. <laughs> a Harkonnen, and then that offspring would be. That they uh, thought they could control. Yeah, her firstborn was supposed to be female, but not to become that. I always mispronounce it, so I'm not even going to try. Uh, and <laughs> Quitzak quick Quitzak Hatterach, yeah. Give your dog a bone. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, to produce that, it, it was her child that was going to produce that, right? Yep. Okay. But the religious aspect is, I think, still applicable all the time, which is like, either way whether Paul's intentions were good and some of the Fremen movements were just, eventually people twist it to some crazy uh, level and then they're murdering people under the guise of religion, you know. And right. it doesn't mean that all of Fremen followers then would be maybe terrible people or fanatics, but certainly enough where people are getting slaughtered on other planets under the name of peace. It's true. So this would turn me, though, to writing choices, though, at this point. If you're going to make a novel, a follow-up that's exciting... Herbert chooses not to show you any of that jihad. Like, in, in ways, this would be a perfect... 
you open this book showing the violence of the bloody jihad that's right. going on yeah. around the universe. Like just doing in media arrest, you would jump into a battle between Fremen and someone else. And I, just, yeah, I think even, the you know. I think the only thing he showed about the jihad was when they went into the mind of one of his death soldiers or something, where he was on another planet, and that was when he realized that the jihad and he then turned against Paul. Right. That was the only time. There was no fighting. It was the only fighting was, I think he might have killed somebody that was wounded, and then that finished it. He was just kind of like, well, everybody else is dead, and I don't remember his name that did that. But it was one of those where he saw water for the first time when he was describing oh, yeah. seeing the ocean right. for the first time, and it was one of those where it was like, I want more of the fight before he sees the water for the first time. Then okay, sure. Yeah, right. It's old Frankie cutting it off again. Yeah. 12 years of action. Yeah, 12 years of action. Edging your 61 billion. Edging. I think he, what did he do? He, 500 worlds are like decimated or completely destroyed yeah, or right. something yeah. like that. And they massacre not, the entire population. Nothing. Just like, yeah, let's get, get the conspiracy theory. Yeah, oh, yes. jump I mean, into this. people in rooms <laughs> talking about There's a dwarf we got to talk about, a dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> Robot dwarf. But I mean, think about all the action movies. Like, again, well, I'll constantly use Star Wars as a frame of reference. Imagine if the entire movie, there was no action scenes in it. It was just... Um, you know, in the Death Star control room as they talk about what they just did. Hey, um, then hey. you got a, somebody in the, uh, you know, flight control room on uh, Mos Eisley talking about that they think they saw somebody over the monitor. You know, guys, I, I saw I saw that ship over there. I think I think that might have been the Millennium Falcon. What do you guys think about that? The Millennium Falcon's here. It'd be, uh, it'd be more within their head, though. Um, so what's that ship there leaving Mos Eisley's spaceport, he said. He searched back in his mind, <laughs> thinking, what ships have left the spaceport? He thought back to his wife at home. Da, 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 da. Did she watch that ship disappear into the, into the beautiful As sky? He the ship. He thought of it as his soul flying free from the surly bonds. Like, I, ugh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I almost like, uh, I would rather have seen this book turn into Paul struggling to reign in the jihad and still do good things as a leader. Rather than wherever yes. the hell Frank took it, which was in well, the what desert. is Frank trying to say in this book? Because I get mm -hmm. that he's the, the leader who wants to put down the mantle of authority because everything's gone beyond his control. But um, and I get the the impulse to have morality be very much in question. Where there is, we don't have a mor moral center in this book. I don't feel there is no necessarily right or wrong. This is just right. a picture of what could happen. You know, when when a human being who is fallible becomes almost godlike and like and leads this huge following, this uprising. But we spend a lot of time what? in this book again, just retreading stuff already thrown out in Dune, which yeah. is like Paul waffling back and forth about is this good, is it bad? Do I can I see? Am I seeing everything? Who's blocking my vision? Who's scheming against me? How am I going to counteract this? Like none of it. It's a lot of it's just. To me, building back in stuff we already know from the first Dune, I really think this should have been like the launching point for more action. This whole second, and I'm not—I don't want to sound like I'm just an action hound who that's all I want is action. And action, <laughs> when I say action, doesn't even necessarily mean that people have to be shooting at I each other. I'm talking battles. We're right, not necessarily yeah. talking battles. Just something that gets my pulse up a little bit. You don't want to be sitting around the throne room having conversations about something that might happen eventually. Yeah. It is truly endless. I mean, this book is in a slog. 
a complete slack. It has some great ideas, and I like the impulse Herbert has to make his hero an anti-hero. Right. But, wow. Well, it's like the first action scene was with the face dancer when he yeah, killed some the of the... the yeah, when he killed some of the Fremen with a dart, and I was like, oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> Got the heart <laughs> going a little bit. Like, hey. oh, oh. Yeah, when it comes... Got some action. When it does come, <laughs> it comes hard. <laughs> Because there's been nothing. It has been so dead. You yell at me for things I say. <laughs> well, you just said that. But it's it's true. A face dancer blows on a pipe and I'm instantly enthralled. <laughs> I will, that, that says something about the book, though, that just that little action grabs your attention. And it right. it needs to have more of that just throughout it. Right. I feel that in a lot of ways, um, Herbert might be overpraised for some of what he did. I think Dune is a masterpiece, you know, of a certain genre. Um, but boy, it feels like these next two books, uh, they're real. They're, they're real, painful, man. They're, they're painful. painful. And, and I, although he's got some great things to say about society and religion and leadership, I almost feel like there's... There's almost a hipster, like a sci-fi hipster movement that tells you, read these unbearable prose that don't necessarily make any sense because they're very profound. And it's almost like the emperor that has no clothes, right? Like you read it and you're going like, I don't, I don't get it. And, but other, the hipster sci-fi fanatics are coming at you going like, Oh, why, you don't, oh, yeah. oh, you don't get it? Why, why, why don't you get this? You should, you should really get this. Why oh, don't you understand You're not smart this? enough for this book. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. It's kind just, of like you're walking out of the record store, and you're super happy because you just scored a Neil Diamond record, and there's somebody getting some sort of jazz odyssey album. Ugh, you got uh, Neil Diamond? You got uh, Neil Diamond, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 bud, you're into vinyl? You're into vinyl? What is it? Oh, REO Speedwagon, huh? You bought REO Speedwagon? Okay. <laughs> All right, bud. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel it is sometimes with Dune, because I think the first book is great, um, although slow. I, you know, not something that I'd, I'd say is a rousing book, but an introspective book. These are awful. I'm going to come out and say, Dune Messiah is an awful book. Yeah. How do we, like, where do we even go? So we have an opening meeting. Um... Paul spends a lot of time referencing things he's seen, but you right. as the reader are also hidden from a lot of that, so you don't know exactly what he's going to do here as this whole uh, sandblaster burner uh, scenario plays out, right? Right. But Paul knows it's coming, right? He wants to get out of there, yeah. but we don't know when, and Dwarf is, Bejiz is telling him we need to go. And all What's of a sudden, this new kit's... Um, I don't even like a lot of this stuff with the nuke. Like, this should be really awesome, that a, a nuke is used, right. and this causes him to go blind. Other I, people are blind. Other people are blinded. Okay, so here's, here's what I was trying to read into this, because I'm going, okay, what is Herbert trying to say with this? We've got our main character, whose name is Paul, right? So you have Paul of Tarsus from the Bible, who is persecuting the early Christian church, he is met on the road to Damascus with a blinding light, right? And he loses his vision. And so I'm like, now we have Paul who is losing his vision to a blinding light from a nuclear explosion. And I'm trying to marry those two things. I don't think there's anything between those two 
Like the symbolism between the two, right. don't jive. And I was trying to jam that in. I'm like, okay, so what is that saying? It because Paul hasn't been persecuting anybody. He, I guess he's persecuted the universe. Yeah, by he's unleashing a jihad. He unleashed right? a jihad that he can't control. So now this should turn him, like Paul, right? He should be turned by this moment, which is what happens. There is a turning now here, where he is now blind, but he is going to, unlike Paul, who finds his usefulness or the the beginning of becoming apostle of the church, Paul decides to flee into the desert, right? To give give up on everything that he was to become the preacher. He's not called the preacher in this book, though. No, is he? Not yet. no that, that's in children. Yeah. The preachers in children? Yeah. You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the... W- <laughs> Are you going to cut that? No, I'm keeping that in. Um, Where are we? Yes, if that's What do we want to hit on this? What do we want to hit? Well, I liked uh, when his eyes melted from the (laughs) J-rays. Whatever. (laughs) You mentioned the Matrix on the part. I just imagine him being Neil. Yeah. Counting zeros, zeros, ones, and they're like, I can see everything. <laughs> I know everything. Because he's blind, but he now can see blind. everything. And he's, he's just like freaking everyone out. Right, right. Freaking everyone out. I mean, okay, that would be really freaky if some blind guy came up to me and then said, I can can describe everything I'm doing and turned to my friend and described everything. That would that would scare me. I Yeah, I agree. I agree. Other it, cool things about Dune Messiah. The goal is cool. <laughs> I I really enjoy the Gola. I feel like there there was a should have been a little bit more adverse reaction to the fact that they brought back somebody who was dead. Duncan Idaho. Yeah, Duncan Idaho. I mean, yes, the Fremen hated him, called him the abomination. I know where I saw that. Uh, whole, let's take your little flesh and turn it into a new being thing. That was the fifth element. Isn't that happening at the beginning of the fifth element? Yes. Yes, and She's in does. that tank and then yeah. takes that little scrap and then... She's born out of that tank, right? Lilu. Yeah. Lilu. Uh, she's not attractive, by the way. But Adrian Paul's hot, though. Uh, sorry. I had to bring him up again. His dog eyes. Dog eyes. Oh, I'm so confused. Uh, but um, so that's what I was thinking. Um, that's a cool idea, though, don't you think? Cool concept. I think it's a really great Could concept. we save a piece of your dead flesh and then turn it into a new Paul. Paul. Sure. Here, take a little bit of it. Why, why not? Mm, I already have some. <laughs> okay. But then you can program Paul anything you want. I know. So he's already he's already tried that. It's a little weird. We, we gotta get past he, that. He domered you? <laughs> he tried. Oh, man. Jeez, zombie. I had him read his script and he couldn't follow it. <laughs> so, what are, what are we to take from the name Hate? Are, is there... I was trying to read into this entire book Something into the fact that he is called hate. I mean, he hates the Harkonnen. He he always did. He I think okay. he always hated them. He, that's what made him so loyal to the Atreides family mm. is his hatred of the Harkonnens. He's right. also born out of hatred. True, I mean, you could say, I guess. So. Yeah. I found the naming scheme to be maybe a little bit on the nose with with some of that. With hate? With hate. The fact that you call him hate. Yeah. I think that was a part of his mental assassination. Ooh. <clears throat> because of the uh, face dancer. Uh, what's his name? Slag type? Still. Sightel. Because, you know, he's, he's trying to assassinate Paul, but they, they have to give him a way out. That's right. his, his code. You know, his code. So but, 
It did reference mental assassination, so I think it's trying to mess with them. Oh, and Duncan was made, you know, because he's like, are you here to destroy me? Because he's a mentat. And he goes, yeah. yeah, I was built to destroy you. Yeah, and then he keeps him around. And I was questioning, so, so why did he keep him around when he said that? And that's because he wants to do everything opposite of what he can foresee. Right? I mean, yeah. Or Is he always doing, doing the opposite? Not say he's doing what they... But then they expect him to take it. Then obviously, yes. so they want is him he to take really doing Duncan, what? I don't know. No, no. Yeah. He's just again. It's like this whole uh, unavoidable fate uh, or, or your destiny. You yeah. can't get off the track once you've started down. Well, that and it seems don't like let hate be your fate. <laughs> I, Are you I'd be a soulless gola. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so what what do you guys think about how the Fremen are now? They, they seem to have changed from their almost nomadic uh, tribe-like statue into they're rich. They're, they call themselves water rich at one point, I think. Yeah, because of the planet is being terraformed at this point or is in the early stages of being terraformed. Yeah. Right? So it's easier. I keep getting confused between this and children, where by the time we get to children of Dune, they don't have to wear still suits anymore. Uh, a lot of them, but uh, yeah, they're they're doing all right. The Fremen, I mean, they've just waged bloody jihad across the galaxy on their freedom. Well, and the ones that survived, weren't they rewarded with these like fancy houses and all the things that you would think a normal Fremen wouldn't want? Right. But in the process of this, they're losing their souls in a lot of ways, which is what Paul is going to come out of the desert and say is that they are now they have lost their way and that they are becoming rich and giving up on the old religion. The religion itself, under Aaliyah, has become tainted. Um, and so he is going to be the lonely voice crying in the wilderness, which I, again, am going to say, this is where uh, George Lucas, I've been hearing, it, it being was thrown under the bus a lot for having ripped huge chunks of Herbert. Herbert just ripped huge chunks of plot device out of the Bible, is all he did to write this book. So basically all he's doing, it feels like he's taking the idea of the Fremen as being like the Hebrews, okay? Where they were this desert nomadic people, right? And that they have, just like when Jesus came and overturned the tables in the temple and all this kind of stuff, the money lenders have come into the temple and all this kind of stuff. The Fremen now are giving up on the old religion, um, and are taking on this, or it's being changed where it's all about jihad, it's all about wealth and power and corruption, and he is like, now he is literally John the Baptist in the desert, the voice out of the desert, calling them back to the true religion. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, Frank Herbert, you just, you went to three days of Sunday school and took a whole bunch of plot lines. First off, he paid way more attention in Sunday school than I did. I know that much. <laughs> no, I, I think a lot of the Fremen that come back, they're rewarded with riches, they're rich, yeah. they're bored now, they don't like it. Some of the fringe groups are sacrificing people to the worms now. They're becoming more radical. Right, right. I mean, so it has correlations with the Middle East and some of the more radical stuff. They're stolen women in the... Oh, yeah. For not wearing their jihad or... <laughs> their burqa. Their burqa, you know, I mean. So some turned <laughs> real extremist about it. Yes, they did. And these, so they're getting dissatisfied with how things are going. They want the old ways again. Yeah. There's old people whining about how good it used to be. Which is why Paul and his, uh, the guy that leads them around now, can have such an impact on, on the people, right? 
Uh, but Aaliyah, let's talk about Aaliyah. I, I was about to, I was about to mention that because she's weird. That's so the best description. Her. I what? So she loves the Gola's maleness. She definitely loves. She definitely loves the Gola. She lo- well, she loves yeah, Duncan Idaho, which is really weird. Um, but <laughs> I don't, yeah, because. <laughs> I mean, she's like, how old at this point, and how old is he? I don't know, because Aaliyah at the end of Dune is how old? Uh, she was, like, just born. No, Was she, she four? She had reached, like, four or so, so, and then 12 years have passed, right? So she's got to be at least 16. Like, we'll okay. 16 to 18. Okay. Something like that. But she has taken over this religion, and we have a problem. She's got, she's like a schizophrenic, and she's got split personality. Disorder going on Well you would too If you were conscious In the womb Well this is true But But let's talk about One of the biggest Voices that is coming through From the other side Is that Of Baron Harkonnen That doesn't happen Until children though She Oh I Children I am muddying the water Yeah you are Children is when She starts to talk uh, To the Baron Harkonnen It's This is the point Where she is just Kind of a a horny sixteen-year-old. <laughs> she at one point is <laughs> fantasizing about her brother. Yeah. It's it's a weird. Let's weird. Well, a vision about her brother impregnating her. I mean, that's not a big deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe from maybe from where you're from, but uh, can we talk about the yeah? Let's okay. Now the weirdest part of this entire yes, book. the Benny Jesuit plan is what. They're all about the breeding, man. They and don't care do where they it, want to breed. They don't care where it comes from. Is this the part where they talk about what's the weird pregnancy thing here? No, so, so uh, she was having visions of um, like some moon or something. I can't remember what moon it was. Falling moon, into the moon. Paul had a vision of a moon. Falling. Yeah, Paul had the vision of the moon falling into the desert. From from what I remember, it's Aaliyah has the vision of her brother impregnating her. That's the weird part. It wasn't it something about a moon and then Duncan Idaho told her what it meant that she kind of had a little meltdown? Uh, she had a lot of meltdowns. I don't well, remember this, and it's probably here in my notes. But no, but the, Somewhere. <laughs> the Benny Jesuit wanted to maintain that line. Yeah, the Benny Jesuit are all about the breeding program because they wanted, they wanted Paul to go uh, and impregnate Orion. O- I think that's how you say it. Okay. Well, Paul sees the moon deform and then disappear, and then he he thinks it's a terrible vision, right? It's like bad. Um, it's a bad omen. Yeah, I think it, I think he thinks Isn't it as Paul thing. The universe is destroying itself. The yeah. moon's disappearing. Things are things are happening that he can't control anymore. Oh yeah. Well, okay. To underline the weird sexual tension that Herbert writes in this novel, the part when. When Aaliyah, I gotta hear my notes When she's training Oh yeah, when she's training naked Yeah, so she's training (laughs) naked Paul shows up with Stilgar And then Herbert says Aaliyah Aaliyah feels Post-coital dirtiness What? I missed missed the post-coital dirtiness It makes her feel like she wants to take a bath Uh, Paul thinks she has something Ruttish about her yeah, he's like recognize her. Oh, she's a yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, sees her practicing naked and has this weird like uh, 
like I wouldn't say attraction, but it's like, oh no, I think I think it was attraction. I a think it was ruddishness. Yeah, reads the ruddishness. Yeah, I read about this in a Reader's Digest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe that was that pamphlet in the back of Danny's work buddies. Uh, ruddishness. The ruddishness in the rut. Wow. No, this that was that was definitely a, uh, a quick turn to the weird uh, for this book. Like this book has been a little weird, but it but, went yeah, even weirder. We, we tend to really kind of freak out or get weirded out by incest, right? Because we think it's funny, or we've all grown up reading Oedipus Rex and then wanted to gouge our eyeballs out. But uh, I don't know, man. Back in the day, like the Greeks thought incest was all cool. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna carry on the royal bloodlines, keep it in the fam, man. Uh, <laughs> I mean, granted, that's thousands of years ago, but right. still, um, it's not that, I don't know. It, I mean, is, it is taboo now, but it... Uh. Back in the day, you're right. It wasn't taboo. It was right. common where they... Well, well I wouldn't say, say common either. It was somewhere in the common. weirder... It was more gray. It wasn't so, like, this is right or wrong. I don't it's know. Like, the uh, hills have eyes. The hills do have eyes. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that their royal families at times, you know, going back to the pharaohs even... Um, I think they more they made it okay, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they were in power. When they were in power, they made it okay. But large, mostly the population never thinks that it's okay, and it's always something that's talked about the royal family. Well, did you hear? Yes. You know, the pharaoh's wife is actually his sister. You know, I mean, I don't know, Um, that that kind of thing. Um, Are you poo hooing, uh, boo hooing? Crapping on Egyptian incest right yes. now? Yes, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, man. It's pretty cool, man. But we also Teach have at the own. end of kind of that same chapterish area where that happens, uh, Paul comparing himself to, to Genghis Khan and Hitler and talking about the billions again that he killed. I'm just thinking again why, why this book uh, wasn't published, uh, right? Um, in in the same magazine. I mean, didn't he basically compare himself and say Hitler was like great? No, no. I, I, did I miss that part? Neutral. Okay. I, I would say that so it's much like time has phrase. passed, which will which will eventually, I think, someday happen. Right? Like when we think way back to a lot of the horrible people who have lived in history, once it reaches the thousands of years, they just become. People? people from history that either did good or bad. Um, Hitler right now is a lightning rod. In 2,000 years, he will just be another person who did horrible things uh, but not carry the weight that he did. So to Paul, Hitler might just be a person that he knows of as being a ruler of a planet uh, uh, or ruler right. of a country, killed uh, millions of people yeah. um, like Genghis Khan. Right. Or he says it, he does say it very objectively. It's not like he's been sitting around watching the Rise of the Reich videos. No. And weeping about uh, <laughs> the horrible things done in the Holocaust. He's no. just saying like, oh, this man killed this many people. Yeah, and I have... But I have killed billions. Right. Yeah. Um, but can you imagine now at this point being a publisher and going like you you have created kind of a hero. Uh, the, that first book didn't do very well, but you have a little bit of a follow, following. What's your follow up? Oh, well, uh, the sister wants to bang Paul. Um, the Quinsack Cataract have all kinds of weird ideas. Uh, Paul's uh, Paul's looking at the scoreboard with his name above Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's and right. Genghis Khan. Yeah, that's right. I've killed billions. Yeah, you guys only were in the millions. Uh, yeah, sixty-one scores, billions. The scores are stacked up against against this, <laughs> right? Um, but as we reach the end of this book, uh, 
we got Beejiz getting busy again because he's part of the conspiracy, and he ends up program programming uh, Hate Duncan to offer Paul something that is too good to be true. Uh, basically that his wife dies in childbirth. But really the idea of a gola still is fascinating to me because how real is the gola? Yeah. I don't care if like you regain the memories, all the mannerisms are the same, it's still not the same person, man. Or yeah. is it? So are you saying, so do you feel at the end of this book that Duncan Idaho is actually Duncan. Duncan Idaho? I guess. I say, well, he has robot eyes. He has the fake eyes, <laughs> the metal eyes Great, for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. But no, he has all his memories back. I actually right. think like that everything an, comes back. I'm pretty sure there's an obscure '80s singer named Duncan Idaho, and his first album was <laughs> called Robot Eyes. <laughs> I really hope there was. That would be amazing. Robot Retro synthwave guys you. needs to name himself Duncan Idaho and come up with an album called Robot Eyes. There you go, DJ Idaho. <laughs> Just potatoes <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> 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 no, this I come mean, to he, the Golda party. He introduced this idea, and it's a huge. Huge plot later on, right? When Brian Herbert starts writing more and more, oh, okay. about the Golas getting memories and old characters are coming back at the end. It's like okay, so so Danny, let us know. You said in one of the future books by Kevin J. Anderson, because I love this. Duncan Idaho is going to die at the end of this book for the second time, and he's going to even call it out that he's dying. Right? He's going to die in children. He doesn't die in Messiah. Oh, never mind. Oh, I'm sorry. Gosh, I'm just yeah, you're, you're mixing them together a little I'm bit. I'm mixing there. them together. But you say that he keeps being brought back, and he dies again and again thousands of times. Yeah, he's the God, God Emperor. <laughs> we, we'll have to get into that in the second book. We won't. Okay, well, okay, we'll he's, later the second Duncan third. is the red coat? He's the red shirt? Yeah. From Star Trek? He yeah. just keeps dying? The ultimate red shirt. Oh, that's Ever amazing. bringing him back. That is him. Squash him. Oh, oh, that's awful. <laughs> Duncan's trying to kill him, too, so it's like oh, okay. a love-hate relationship. Right. Um, I, yeah, because a, a kill switch was basically put into Duncan at this point, but Duncan, like we said in the synopsis, um, when that kill switch happens, um, he doesn't kill Paul. And he actually fully becomes Duncan, I guess, is what we're supposed to. But he's not. He, he's of, not. He's, is he a robot? Is he flesh? I don't he's really... Like Duncan, but he's, he's like 99.9% Duncan. Well, yeah. he, he's flesh, and they, they bred these golas, I guess, a lot, because I was introduced to this book all of a sudden that everyone's breeding golas. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to produce even the Quizark Hatterack. Gola. As a Gola? Gola Hatterack. Yeah, yeah they, they just keep putting in, they keep putting hate in people, not hate, hate, but right. people that are evil, seeing how they work, they're constantly experimenting, and they but they can't awaken consciousness. There's like consciousness at a molecular level, but okay. they can't do it. Okay. And so, but he did it. So, after in a, he was, so in other words, there's a soul. There's the aspect where science can't bring the soul through. Yeah, so like a genetic memory. Okay. Like Idaho keeps saying, oh, I felt someone on my shoulder. Was that the old Duke? You know, he has the something yeah. in there. And then with the biz bizlax, bejiz, 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 He's a talaxu too. Yeah, that wants to try to trigger this because right. once they get this figured out, yeah, is is also oh, he going. wants this to happen? Yeah, yeah. Is oh, he okay. a creation of the talaxu or is he actually a talaxu? Because all we know is that they are. No, he's a creation of them. <laughs> My wife just walked by, and I could. <laughs> I no, could, uh, hear, another I week, hear, Bob. Another hear, week. Another week is going on. 
Bill Vito dropped it. But honey, they're, they're like golems. <laughs> this right here is a negative libido space. Yeah, it is. You can just role play Gola or Duncan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Want to make your make your eyes metallic? Act like a robot, kind of. Kind of know me, but kind of don't. So at the end here, uh, we do we do have the birth of the twins, right? Uh, they are also yeah. pre-born, uh, and they're going to lead us into the next book. Um, but because Mama's been taking so much spice, right, they were also pre-born like Aaliyah. And so uh, we've got Leto, the second, and Ganima. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the whole plot we learn about in the beginning is followed through, but Paul still manages to carry on. Very right, because everything really did happen how they wanted it to happen, right? Right. He just went blind. Right. Well, he but went blind. They didn't think that he would be able to overcome that. Then he would have been banned to the desert, according to Fremen laws. Correct. And yes. he is he is banned to the desert to a point. It's it's an accepted. He accepts. But he's able he's to overcome the lack of eyes. Yes. Uh, when nobody thought he would. Right. So that's yeah. really how he defeats his assassination attempt. Well, and he kills. An assassin too. He does kill the face the changer. The last action yeah. scene. Yeah, the what a three. I, I kind of like. Yeah. I did. I did like the build up um, of that scene with Saitel thinking he was so smart and, and tricking Paul, right. and Paul already knowing the whole time that it was you know. Right. He's not Duncan. Wait, who is he shapeshifting as at the time? Who was was he Duncan? The, no, that was a Fremen uh, daughter. Oh yeah, the yeah, woman. that, yeah, that woman. Like, we never mentioned that. Come yet, see but, my dad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Paul picked up on him, and then Ali brought her, brought him in for the, oh, Johnny's dad, Cheney's dad. Let's uh, get a piece of her. You can make a new one. And he's like, oh, he's a face dancer. Well, that's a good scene because then they hold him hostage. Right. And the face dancer wants his chum holdings, you know, and wants him to go. Right. Or we kill him, and then, then he knifes him. And then Paul is completely blind. Yeah, like he doesn't have any, and then all of a sudden he starts seeing through one of his kid's eyes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, that's yeah. when he sees. Uh, Lato from, from Lato. Lato's eyes, and that will carry on into the next book. This ability to see through Lato. I would, yeah, in rare form, that was a pretty uh, cool scene. I think yeah. out of Herbert, because then of course he flings the knife right into the guy's. Eye. Is it his eye or? Is yeah, his right eye? through his eye. Right through his eye without you know. You can, that's a cool scene in a movie. You right. have that play out. For sure, but th- I think there's a lot of cool things Thanks that for the happen. Three paragraphs here. in the <laughs> yeah, three paragraphs of action. Let's go to final thoughts. So, like, what are you, what are you guys' thoughts on Dune Messiah? Um, well, wait a minute. Then everyone got killed at the end. Like, well, yeah, like Eric the Edric Edric Edric, but it's really Eric. Booger Boy's dead. Booger Boy's dead. The Mother Gaius dead. <laughs> everyone dies at the end. Assassinates Mother Helen. There's a long scene too where she gets let in right and Paul's playing with her, showing her oh, yeah. power is stronger than her. He just toys with her the she's entire time. The architecture of the building she's walking into. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's a really big building. Yeah. It is. Huge. There's lots of doors. The door's uh, huge. In such a way that it looks larger than it actually is. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> that optical, optical illusion. All right, yeah. so final thoughts on Dune Messiah. Paul. Oh, yeah. How many spicy potatoes? I can't let <laughs> no, I can't let you go. No, you can't let spicy potatoes go, can you? It, come on, those were eat them in a podcast. Those were good. Those were good spicy potatoes. This book, um, no, no. There were things I liked about it. 
I lo- I really enjoyed the Dune book. This book, I'm really glad I didn't read when I read Dune the first time. Because <laughs> you stop. Because this would have made me stop. I I like the world. I really don't like where he went with with this. It was one of those where it was one of the, I'm reading this going. Why am I reading this and why do I care? Right. I care a little bit about the assassinations, I, but I want more action. I want more than just people talking about the action. I want to see some of it. Right. Ted, what about you? Same. Uh, also, I think brief moments of like, ooh, I really like that paragraph. And then you read like 70 pages. And then you're like, ooh, that's a good quote. I like that. And you read like another 100 pages. And then the book's over. So uh, I really feel like half of it could have been cut out, but I'm being, I don't know, probably overly critical. I just feel like after you go through Dune and like we said at the end of the Dune podcast, you are literally tired. You're like exhausted of Frank Herbert's Dune. And then you'd think like, oh, maybe Dune Messiah will be a change of pace. And no, it's just like thicker oatmeal shoved into your mouth, like Bob was saying. So um, I enjoyed it, but... Not really. So I give it two spicy potatoes out of five. You're welcome, everyone. DP, what do you think? Oh, it's the second time through this book, and I was bored. Um, I, <laughs> with that being said, um, it had its good parts, but I liked it because it introduced some key elements if you want to go further right. down the universe. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to go, go further, because once you get into Frank or Brian Herbert's writing, yeah. it gets a little bit more action yeah. Right. Like so there's tons of fight scenes. There's tons of this and like Sandworms of Dune and some of the other later books. Right. But boy, yeah, there was a lot. Which we had feedback on Facebook, actually, which we'll get into in the regular episode. Um, but there's a lot of people, the people who are fans of Frank, man, they don't like what Anderson did. And it's and I'm just going like, they because he put action into it because <laughs> that's what I'm needing <laughs> I mean because this book when I first said it all of a sudden they're, they drop in a face dancer a shapeshifter do anything right that, like, that could be so awesome. cool wow. you know, Gola that, that also huge. super cool yeah Gola yeah and, and then Gola. he like how do you suck the fun out of it Frank oh, no. <laughs> describe it for 25 pages <laughs> I mean really that's what happens right yeah and so I don't true. know at this point I think he was just trying to still make it a uh, one more book yeah. Just trying to make three books out of That's it. That's what so I think so, too. Why the hell he introduced them now? And, I mean, but they needed three other books that they have a lot of which we, we should, relevance We should to. throw out a lot of this. Uh, Messiah turned out from kind of the droppings of Frank. Frank, when writing Dune, had so much side material and everything else that Dune Messiah and Children of Dune kind of came out of a like lot of the scat, extras. Scat books. They're scat books. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he was. Yeah. He was scatting. He was scatting. Scat yeah. Yeah. So, so how many spicy potatoes? Oh, I'll still give it three out of five. Ooh, three wow. out of five. That's actually pretty good. I just... They had good parts in there. It was just, it was long. I mean, it's if you're a Dune fan, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. It's not my favorite book. No. It's probably one of my least favorites. It's necessary to go <laughs> to the next one. But in all honesty, I would say uh, avoid. Uh, avoid it. Um, like, on a, go online, read a synopsis of yes. it, and go on to children. Because mm-hmm. you don't really need to read this book. I'm going to liken this book, actually, to one of my, or my ideas about this book, to one of my... Favorite movies of all time. Alien. Uh, Ridley Scott's Alien. 
So Ridley Scott comes in and makes a masterpiece, Alien, right? And for the Alien, what I loved about it is he basically had, um, I think, two people working on it. Um, Ron Cobb was the concept artist for all the human stuff, right? And then you have the notorious H.R. Giger, who did all of the design of the Alien stuff, right? And H.R. Giger is a genius, and he's been... He's incredibly scary. Like, you would never want to be in a room alone with him. He talks with, like, this heavy Austrian accent. He's like, I had the vision for the aliens. This thing would go down the throats, and it'd be like these lips, the lips of a woman, and it would, like, come in for a kiss, and then the tongue would come out, go down into the throat, and barbs would rip all the internal... Oh, it was awful. It was awful. And he's, like, sitting in this massive, like, throne. He is dark and disturbed, but what he did for the alien portion, brilliant. Frank Herbert, to me, is a guy that is in dire need of an editor, and to be, like, just... He needs to come up with all of the part of a novel or a movie that deals with the religious aspects, people going out on spirit journeys. Like, like he needs to be an idea man in a back room spitting out ideas, and then it needs to go through a reality filter, get dressed <laughs> up a little bit, and turned out in, as a good package. I, I, Frank Herbert, to me, is not a guy... Besides Dune, which I see as the first book as an aberration of what the guy has done. After reading now a lot of stuff, he's not great. I, I, all of his stuff is super heady and, and overbearing and kind of pretentious like I'm being. <laughs> but, but, well, aren't we all? But for me, it's not entertainment. He is a guy that would be better served um, in a, the planning stages, coming up with great ideas like the Telelaxu and, and plot devices that are really cool and bringing all the stuff up a notch, a, a level. Um, but, man, the book itself, when he's in charge, like it, 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 what I'm likening it to is if H.R. Giger had to do the entire movie, it would not be a movie any of us would want to watch. Yeah. It'd be visually stunning, and that'd be it. But terrifying. But, yeah, nothing that we would want to watch. There'd be babies in bullets. He, he does that sort of thing. It's really weird. That's weird. I mean, <laughs> this book and the next book get weird, but that's that's weird. Yeah. Well, there it is. Dune Messiah. Hey, yeah. Give a look. Thanks for joining us here in Deeper Delves. Um and be looking, the next next episode will be coming out in probably about five days after this one comes out. Pumping it out. See you later. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Get us out of this dungeon. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dungeons and Dweebs. There's even more adventuring to be had at our website, dungeonsanddweebs.com. We would love to hear from you. You can email us at dungeonsanddweebspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find Dungeons and Dweebs on Facebook. Twitter, and YouTube. Find all those links at DungeonsAndDweebs.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, please help spread the word by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. The music for Dungeons & Dweebs is Fatal Fight by Royalty Free Kings and can be found at their website, RoyaltyFreeKings.com. Dungeons & Dweebs is a Tim Gilbert media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of the show can be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Tim Gilbert Media. 